Welcome into Lockdown Blackhawks. Today is Tuesday, July 28th, 2020. I am your host, Jack Bushman, tuning in for the 178th episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast for free wherever you may listen to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. You'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day, so please make sure to go do that. Also, please go follow our Twitter page, which can be found at capital L, capital O, underscore Blackhawks, as some good stuff will be posted there every day as well. Alright Blackhawks fans, at the conclusion of yesterday's episode, I mentioned how today's show was going to be a crossover episode with Locked On Oilers host Tom Gazzola to discuss the best of five series between the Hawks and Oilers a little bit. So Tom, thanks for joining me on the podcast this afternoon. How are you doing today? Jack, it's uh, boiling hot in Edmonton. I know you know people probably don't believe me when I say that, but summer has finally arrived just in time for hockey. I uh, don't know what to do with my hands because uh, I'm so <laughs> excited that we're going to actually see hockey today, and it's fantastic. I know, right? I'm like tapping my fingers on my desk, slowly waiting for hockey to get back. I'm not sure, not sure what to do with myself. Uh, but Blackhawks fans, if you haven't yet, make sure to go follow Tom at Lockdown Oilers. And Tom, you got a couple of personal accounts you want to share where they can find you too? Yeah, just Tom Gazzola, simple as that. Uh, T-O-M-G-A-Z-Z-O-L-A, or as we like to say here in Canada, G-A-Z-Z-O-L-A. I know, <laughs> I know my American friends find that funny, but, uh, you know, British English gives us the Z. I like it. I like it. So, Tom, I listened into Lockdown NHL last week, and I heard you've now been at the rink in Edmonton for over a week. How's everything looking up there, and how are the players handling the bubble so far? What's the mood like and everything? It seems like the bubble is being well-received. You know, the players have their creature features. Uh, the Ice District here in Edmonton is is second to none. Jack, it, it's really nice, and uh, the weather has been good, so we've seen some videos and uh instagram stories from guys hanging out getting some sun before they have to go to the rink the rink itself i know we had the the flood damage at the end of the winter garden or uh ford hall as it's called in edmonton it's basically a huge pedestrian bridge that you know thousands of people cross to go over a a main thoroughfare in edmonton's downtown Mm -hmm. and where the main flooding was was at the entrance across the street from the main rink so the rink itself is generally okay. There was some flooding in the areas uh, that you'd call the production areas where the, the command center of the building is. And so they had to replace some equipment and wiring there, but everything's good to go. The images I've seen from inside the main rink are fantastic. Uh, we were at the downtown community arena, which is attached to Rogers Place. And it's basically the practice rink and everything there was, okay. was fine, pristine, and it, it looks like uh, Edmonton is uh, ready, willing, and able to host, and, and this thing is off and running right away here. Well, that's definitely awesome to hear, especially after seeing that crazy video that kind of leaked on social media, <laughs> the flooding in Rogers Place I saw, and I was like, man, they're going to play hockey here in two weeks? I know, I know. You know what? And that's the thing. It was, it was at a diff- like completely different end of the building, technically part of the same building, but uh, they sent in a small army of people to fix it all up, and sounds like we're good to go. All right, well, that's definitely terrific to hear. And overall, I mean, I'm not sure if you've had any interactions with any players or teams or anything, but do the players seem like they're happy to be there, like everything's going well, they're enjoying their time for, you know, what it is, it's quarantine, making the most of their opportunity at least? Yeah, you know what? They seem to get it, and nobody seems to be down. Nobody seems to be begrudgingly rejoining their team. Uh, Mike Green is the only oiler that opted out, mm-hmm. and he's got, he's got you know, personal reasons and, and family 
uh, reasons not to be here. And that's totally within his right. Nobody's going to knock him for Absolutely. that. And it just creates opportunity for other guys, Jack. So the guys, uh, it, the best way to describe the way the Oilers have handled this and, and talking to the players in the Zoom calls that we do at every practice, um, business-like. That's, that's probably the best way to describe the Oilers in these past two weeks. Very business-like and focused. And I'm sure that the Blackhawks have been the same way. Yeah, sounds like everyone's trying to kind of just get their focus back and back on a mission almost as we were without hockey for about five months there. But all of a sudden, just like that, here are the playoffs and you got to be ready to go come Saturday for game one. Definitely. It's going to be interesting. Oh, man, uh, it, it's coming fast. And, uh, you know, we're going to get an onslaught of hockey, Jack. And, and that's kind of what uh, excites me the most. Like, it's not just our respective teams that we cover and do podcasts for. But it's it's the twenty four out of thirty one teams. I know, and it's just going to be a flood. So uh, I'm ready for my head to be spinning for the next couple months, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it's going to be basically March Madness style hockey, starting at like eleven a.m. in some places and ending at like midnight. I'm excited to basically lock myself in a cave for twelve hours and just go <laughs> nuts watching watching hockey and some golf this weekend. So that's that's basically what I got on my schedule all weekend. Uh, but now to get into the swing of things here a little bit. Tom, as I said, it's been almost five whole months since these teams have seen game action. Uh, you want to remind us just how the Oilers were doing a little bit down the stretch before the regular season was placed on pause back on, back on March 11th? Well, one of, one of the the Oilers lost three of their last four games heading into the pause, which is you know not a great thing, but they were in the stretch drive and, and generally playing pretty well. And one of those losses came to the Blackhawks, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you noted it. The Hawks uh, won the season series both of those games back at United Center. And, and the Oilers uh, were dealing with a bit of injury issues, and uh, they were trying to get their stride going. But it seemed like everything was starting to take shape. You know, the new guys that came on at the deadline, Mike Green was banged up. He was out for a while, only played two games with the Oilers. We're not going to see him in the return to play. Tyler Ennis was kind of finding his groove with mm-hmm. the club after coming over from Ottawa. And Andreas Athanasiu was another one. Uh, that really, you know, struggled to to get anything going. He had a goal and an assist in his games with the Oilers since coming over from the Red Wings. But uh, it, it seemed like the team was kind of finding a way to gel a bit. And uh, abruptly, everything came to a crashing halt, obviously. And, and here we are now. Everyone's ha- happy, healthy, and ready to go. Uh, this Oilers team, um, I think the players, the Drysaddles and McDavid's and Nugent Hopkins of the world, are determined to prove to the rest of the National Hockey League that they're just not only good and exceptional regular season players, Jack, but they could do it when the chips are on the line and and down and uh, they want to prove to everyone they could be winners in the postseason as well. Yeah, it's about time for that team to kind of make those next steps at this point. We know we've seen McDavid and Dreisaitl light it up points-wise in the regular season the last couple of years, but I think I mean, I can't speak for the fans in Edmonton, but I'm sure they're probably ready to see those guys kind of make the next step in the postseason. And it's tough to hear that. It sounds like they were really just trying or just starting to kind of gel together when uh, the season was unfortunately paused on March 11th. I also found it interesting that Edmonton, I didn't know this actually, Edmonton technically has more points than the Stars this year, but because the Stars played in two fewer games in the regular season than the Oilers, they landed the four seed actually. I found that kind of interesting. I didn't think uh, Edmonton, actually had the stars beat points wise this year yeah it's you know what everything's kind of jumbled up and uh it is what it is Edmonton comes in as the five seed 
they get the 12th seed Hawks and you know, they're just, that's the hand that they've been dealt. You got to roll with it. Yeah, that's um, an interesting situation there for Edmonton. As for the Blackhawks to kind of recap on them down the stretch, they finished the regular season 32, 30 and eight winning five of their final eight games of the regular season with some impressive wins over the Tampa Bay lightning. And as we just mentioned, they did defeat the Edmonton Oilers four to three at the United center and two of the three uh, Hawks losses were close games against the defending Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. So the Hawks were gaining a little bit of confidence down the stretch themselves as well. And I think that's you know why the NHL made sure to include them in their postseason, because although the Hawks' chances of actually making it were really low, that doesn't mean it wouldn't have happened. So I am personally happy with the league's ruling of uh, – electing 24 teams to make the postseason. I'm curious, Tom, what's your thought on 24 teams making the postseason this year? We knew that this was going to be unprecedented. And, you know, we heard all the rumors, Jack, all along. You know, how many teams come back? Do you go right into the playoffs? Do you finish up a part of the the regular season? What's the right way to do it? How do you do it with as much integrity as possible? And when you hear that seven teams are out, they basically took care of all the teams that you knew were gone and and had no hope of playing Mm -hmm. in the postseason and yes there's some fringe teams like the Blackhawks uh we know that the The Rangers were kind of coming on yeah Montreal Canadiens like that's fine and you want as many people watching these games as possible the NHL is a business they need to recoup as much as the potential 1.1 billion in in revenue that would have been lost had they not played and and here you you also instill a little bit of hope you know And, and there's nothing wrong with that the 10 games to 12 games of a season is a good chunk of a season. Definitely. And who knows what, if, what if the Hawks stayed hot Jack? And what if they did make a push for one of those wild card spots? It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't out of the realm of possibilities. So I like the 24 teams. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think there, like you said, 12 games, that's a, that's a significant chunk of the season. People don't yeah. really realize how fast, you know, those 10 games and 12 games go, but that's really a major point of the season. So I think you can't really, just throw teams out because they weren't in that position yet. There's still a significant chunk of games to play. So I do agree with you. I think it was the right decision. And um, although I I am a Blackhawks fan, I do think it was right to give them uh, the disadvantages in the postseason. Like they'll be up against the highest seed if they do somehow upset the Oilers in the first round. Like no matter what, they'll be versing the higher seeds. So it's not like the NHL is throwing them in there and they have the same kind of – I mean, they do have the same chances as other teams, but they're getting – the respect that a 23rd seed should get, which is what I like. So I feel they did a good job in putting the teams that were doing well in the regular season at where they left off. They're giving them the buys, the four seeds get the buys, and they're making it harder on the lower seeds. So overall, I can't really complain about what the NHL's done and their return to play plan, especially when you look around uh, the rest of the major sports in North America right now, and we can't really say the same. Jack, I think we're going to see a couple of Cinderella stories in this qualifying round and in the playoffs. I really do, because it's it's wide open. I, I, I truly believe that, hey, if the Hawks get hot, if their young guns step up to the plate and help out Taves and Kane and Keith, who knows? That's who what knows? I, it's a toss-up right now. And, like, I was, you know, looking at all the teams in there. I'm like, man, Boston and... Boston, Tampa, St. Louis, those teams are loaded, but they, they haven't had the chemistry that they were rolling with in five months. Like they're, they're fresh on the ice again. So it's like a completely different season right now. It's, it's like, we're getting 
I don't even know, a huge, huge kind of intermission in the middle. I, I don't think teams are going to be able to roll over with the same momentum they had in the first half. So, like you said, I think it's going to be anyone's game, and we could see a team like, you know, the Philadelphia Flyers or someone out, just some random team get hot out of nowhere that we know can put it together. It's going to be really interesting, but I think that's what's going to make it the most fun is every team's fan base knows they have a chance because no one really has that much of an advantage right now. No. Uh, my sleeper teams, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think Carolina could do some damage. Definitely. Uh, let's see what happens with their goaltending. And in the West, uh, Vancouver. Vancouver, Dude. for whatever reason, I just kind of like their mix. They have some talent up there, lots of young talent. Their future is going to be very bright if they are able to figure out some cap problems. They pay their fourth liners like $10 million. It's absurd. <laughs> but they have so much young talent. If Jacob Markstrom can do well in that, they have a chance to go far. They're, they're a, one of those teams that definitely – they have the offense to do it. Some young guys, Brock Besser, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson's absolutely filthy. So definitely a team that if they're able to get hot and – get a couple series wins, they could surprise a bunch of people that, you know, not a lot of people I would say right now are looking at Vancouver as a team that could, you know, make a serious run. Oh, totally. Um, Here's the other thing too, bringing it back to the Hawks and the Oilers. Like what are people thinking around Chicago when it comes to Corey Crawford? I I know Colin Delia and Malcolm Subban weren't going to get you very far, but uh, the whole Crawford situation, obviously with COVID is, is tough. We saw that here with Caleb Jones, but is there a lot of confidence in Corey Crawford when they saw him back on the ice the other day for practice before the team left for Edmonton? Uh, did that kind of give the Blackhawks faithful a renewed sense of hope? So definitely Crawford being back just gives everyone such a better feeling about their chances, about the Hawks' chances of upsetting the Oilers because Colin, Colin Delia, Malcolm Subban, that's not going to get it done against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I don't care who you have in front of them. That's <laughs> not really going to do it. But – Corey Crawford, as you kind of expected, he was a little rusty in the team scrimmage on Saturday. He allowed, I think, three goals in the one period of play that uh, he took part in. But kind of what you expect, hasn't seen NHL-level shots in a significant stretch of time. But he's sounding like, overall, as we we just talked about, we know it wasn't an injury thing. It was a COVID thing. He tested positive for COVID-19, and he was absent for so long because he wanted to take the extra precautions and not get anyone sick. And just from his words, though, and we know it's not an injury, I'm pretty confident to say that Crawford's going to be in net for game one. As for how he plays, that could be a whole different story. We're going to um, we're gonna have to need him to be stellar because mm-hmm. that Blackhawks defense is not very strong in front of him, and that Oilers offense is one of the best in the entire NHL. So I, I think Crawford's going to have to be ready to go right from the bat, and if he's not, this series could get ugly in a hurry, Tom. I, I, I'm with you on, on that one. And the other thing too, when I look at the Blackhawks, Jack, I see the Taves, I see the Canes, I see uh, the veterans that they have there. And listen, those guys are all world elite and have been for over a decade now. But if, if the Hawks are going to get the one up on the Oilers, I think, and I'm curious to watch Kirby Doc. I'm curious to see Alexander Nylander. I'm curious to see, uh, how Drake Kajula rises to the occasion. He was good for the Oilers in the playoffs three seasons ago. He honestly yeah. was. Uh, wrecking ball. Yeah, and Dylan Strove. Like, these are the next wave of young, talented Blackhawks. And with this time off that they've had, I'm wondering if they mentally, physically, uh, are able to put it together and, and kind of take the next step and, and surge against this Oilers team. Because if the Hawks win, I think that that – 
combination of youngsters are going to have to play a huge role for this team. They're definitely going to have to. Interesting that I saw on Twitter the other day, the Blackhawks actually have the youngest postseason roster out of all 24 teams. And the roster makeup is an interesting mix of all these young guys, as well as some of the core pieces. We still have Taze, Kane, Duncan Keith, even though Brent Seabrook won't be playing uh, locker room presence, potentially Brandon Saad, Corey Crawford. So there's still guys that have been there and done that, that are going to have a strong influence over these young players. But you hit you were exactly right. If the Blackhawks want to get the series victory, their young guys are going to have to step up. And one thing out of Blackhawks training camp that we've heard is everyone is juicing Kirby Doc right now. They're saying he's looking a lot bigger, stronger on the puck. He's been very, very good in practice. And he said himself that right when the pause happened, he hit the weight room to get stronger. So I'm really, really excited to see how Kirby Doc fares now that he's kind of had this pause and see how much better he got because of this. And I think the other big test that the Blackhawks are going to have to see is Duncan Keith's going to be playing with 19-year-old Adam Boquist most of the time. He's going to be playing probably 18 to 20 minutes a game. I don't know if he's ready to play 18 to 20 minutes a game against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisel. That's my concern right now, Tom. Well, you know, the Oilers are probably looking at that, and they're going, who can we expose on that on that back end? And uh, although Boquist has, uh, like – a really high potential as a player and defenseman in the National Hockey League. When you don't have the history or the experience of an NHL postseason, that can go south on you in a hurry. And and we'll see if the Oilers are able to key on on a guy like that because uh, you know you know it's a it's a game of strategy, and you know the better strategists generally win in the postseason. And if you can outmaneuver your opposition and expose their weaknesses and exploit them fully, uh, generally that's the team that walks away victorious. Definitely. And I think that will take us to an interesting point that I want to talk about, exposing weaknesses. One of the biggest weaknesses the Blackhawks had this season was in the special teams department. They were pretty strong on the penalty kill. They were top 10 this year. But on the power play, 28th in the NHL uh, at under 13%. The only teams that were worse than them were the Detroit Red Wings, Ottawa Senators, and Anaheim Ducks. Not exactly elite company. And as I've talked about recently on the podcast, the Oilers had the best man advantage in the NHL by a wide margin this year. It wasn't even really close. So I think the a big part of the series, Tom, is going to come down to the special teams battle. What are you... Uh, what have we seen from the Oilers in practice so far as for their power play lines and whatnot? And what do you expect from the Oilers uh, special teams wise coming up in the series? Well, first and foremost, Jack, I don't expect to see power play two get on the ice very much. Uh, it'll be power play one for a good minute 45, like is uh, the norm with this club. And, and how can you fault the Oilers for not rolling out dry saddle, McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, uh, cleft bomb on the point, either, mm-hmm. James Neal down low or Alex Chase on down low. Kyler Yamamoto gets out there. It's it's a deadly combination. It's so it's lethal. <laughs> yeah, and and here's the other thing, and and that that group deserves the the accolades that it does because it was at or near the top of the power play uh, standings all season long for a good reason, and it it deserved all that attention absolutely. But the Oilers penalty kill was actually top five all season as well. Mm-hmm. That that was a major hole for the Oilers, you know, basically for the last 10 to 15 years was the, the penalty killing was perenni- perennially awful, Jack. And and Dave Tippett came in, Jim, Jim Playfair came in, 
Glenn Gullitson came in and they said, we need to, to cut down on our goals against. How do we do that? Well, look at the PK. It's been awful and horrendous here. Let's find a way to correct that. And they seem to have done that. So the Oilers penalty kill deserves almost as much credit as the power play gets. And we'll see if that continues in the postseason. Uh, I think that'll be a, a big question mark for the Oilers, as will be the goaltending. We don't even know who's going to play a net for the Oilers. I think it'll yeah. be Mike Smith, but Miko Koskinen has seen his fair share of games. Those two were basically 50-50 this season. If they want to go the experience route, they definitely got to go Smith. Yeah, but Smith, keep in mind, Smith got shelled against the Hawks mm-hmm. in that March 5th game, got yanked after like a period, and Koskinen you know, held the fourth the rest of the way in a loss. And uh, the Hawks won the season series in all three games. It was Mike Smith between the pipes. Who do you think the team has more confidence in right now? Who do you think gets the start on Saturday? I think Mike Smith does get the start. And I think that's because him and Dave Tippett go back so long. And, and in the big games this season, Jack, uh, the, the very key and important games, uh, Mike Smith has been the go-to guy. But I don't think he's got a long leash for sure. If uh, he falters or if the Oilers and, and the Brain Trust see something they don't like in Mike Smith's game, there will be no hesitation whatsoever to throw Miko Koskinen in there. Before we move on to our next topic, I have to quickly ask, what do you think of that Miko Koskinen contract? Oh, it stinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it's what? A it's a toughie, buddy. Yeah, when when the GM gets fired the next day after the Koskinen yep, that much signing gets announced, it, it's a pretty good indicator. But um, this year... Thanks for taking Brandon credit. Manning, too, by the way. Thanks for oh, taking Brandon yeah, Manning. Oh, yeah, that's an awful trade. Awful. Drake Kajula, it would have been... Oh, he's fit- been great. He would have fit right in just fine here in Edmonton. And uh, I know that stung in the locker room. The players really like Drake Kajula. Uh, Ryan Strom was another trade that w- wasn't a good one by Peter Shirelli and, and did more damage than good mm-hmm. for this club. But uh, as for Koskinen, to his credit, he plays better when his back is against the wall. He plays and falters. He plays poorly and falters, Jack, when you give him the ball to run with. Mm-hmm. And, and when no one really expects things from him, there he is. Exactly. So that's that's why I think you go to Smith first. If he falters, then Koskinen, for whatever reason, in his mind, it seems to click when he has to come in and his back is against the wall. And and so I think that'll probably be the strategy there for the goalies. Um, as for the contract, yeah, I mean, not ideal. Uh, it doesn't seem so bad this season, but I mean, last year when the GM gets fired the day after announcing that extension, you know, it's not a good deal. Definitely a rough. Yeah. Shirelli had a rough uh, last couple months there in Edmonton. Well deserving of being shown the door. So once again, we are here live with Tom Gazzola of the Lockdown Oilers podcast as part of the crossover episode before the best of five series between the Blackhawks and the Oilers. All right, Tom, now let's talk about, as we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I wanted to touch on more uh, of some of the moves these two teams made this season to their rosters because I think an interesting part of all of this that hasn't been talked about a lot of this pause is that it occurred shortly after the NHL trade deadline where we saw both of our teams getting active. You mentioned Edmonton got both Andreas Athanasiu and Mike Green from Detroit and also Tyler Ennis from Ottawa. I kind of wanted to revisit those trades a little bit and talk about how uh, Athanasiu and Ennis fit in the lineup going forward in their postseason run. As we know that Green, unfortunately, opted out before training camps opened up a few weeks ago due to uh, family health concerns. Yeah, and, and it's going to be interesting to see Athanasiu and Ennis, and, and they should feel comfortable with this group because 
it's not like they haven't been Oilers. They've been Oilers for a long time, technically. Yeah. It's just they haven't played many a games with the Oilers. Yeah. Um, we're going to see Tyler Ennis on the second line with Leon Dreisaitl and Kyler Yamamoto because Ryan Nugent Hopkins has been bumped up to Connor that's McDavid's left wing. Sure. Exactly. That's interesting for sure. That's for sure. And that's how the Oilers went into the, to the pause with Nuge playing with McDavid and Cassian. And we kind of thought that Athanasiu would naturally slide into that second line left wing slot with dry settle and Yamamoto. And, and with Nugent Hopkins, by the way, that line was one of the most Unreal. effective Unreal. in the league. Yeah. Um, but Ennis has been the better player at camp. Ennis has been more effective when the team has actually been playing. Athanasiu has struggled at times in camp and when the season was still going. Um, to the point where they bumped him down to the third line with Riley Shahan and Josh Archibald, and and maybe they can insulate him a little bit, let him get his feet wet, get acclimated. He's a younger guy, whereas Ennis has been around the league a bit longer. And quite frankly, Jack, I'm not going to lie to you, Ennis was the better player at training camp in the scrimmages. The puck seemed to follow him wherever he went. And both scrimmages, he was on the losing team, but he was one of the guys you looked at, and you're like, well, there's nothing wrong with his game. He's mm-hmm. making things happen out there. So I'm curious to see how that line looks. It's it's two really small wingers with one really big centerman. Yeah, that's and, definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, and all of them can they can wheel and they can fly, and they all have skill. We'll see if the two flanks can buzz, and we'll see if the big brute down the middle can uh, put his size and strength and skill on display, create space, and uh, make the most he seems of seems to every team. night. <laughs> well, uh, exactly. Exactly. So we'll see. It'll be an interesting combination. And then the McDavid line is just, uh, I'll tell you this, Jack, uh, Connor McDavid has had time to work out in the last four months. Whereas last summer he was just getting that knee healed up. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, that was a scary looks, situation. Oh, you know what's scary? How good he looks right now. And, and yeah. I've watched this kid over the last five, six years. It's, it's incredible. Nightmares. Whole different level. This defense is not ready. I know it. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> it's going to be rough, man. That kid is something else. But, yeah, definitely going to be interesting to see how Andres Athanasiu and Tyler Ennis fit into that lineup. They didn't get much game action with the Oilers. I think I saw Ennis played nine games. He put up, like, four points or something. Yep. Um, but I heard uh, Tippett, interestingly enough, said – I think it was Tippett – said that all the skill players really like to play with Tyler, Tyler Ennis because he's just kind of that glue guy that can do everything. You know what? He's a slight, tiny, uh, unassuming, quiet guy. But you see him on the ice, and that's where he does his talking. And he he has quietly put together a really strong season. He had a good year on a bad Ottawa team. And for the Oilers to pluck him out of there. For a fifth. Exactly. was a wily move. And and listen, I know Ottawa probably wouldn't have kept him beyond this season anyway. So uh, That's a win for them. Exactly. That's Kenny Holland doing uh, an experienced general manager's type of move. So uh, that might prove to be a sneaky good move and have a payout in the long run for this club. But you know what? They they have to get past the tough Chicago team. And who knows? Maybe Chicago surprises. I mean, I'm curious to see how how the Hawks come into this and, and what kind of mindset that they have too. Uh, it's definitely a different mindset that they had at the trade deadline, Tom, because – we shipped away Robin Leonard, who, with everything that's going on with Corey Crawford, not to knock Crawford's play at all, but Leonard is a superior goaltender than Crawford yeah. is at this point in his career. So the Blackhawks, at the time of the trade deadline, they were kind of thinking future as they traded away Eric Gustafson to the Calgary Flames, which was a move they should have made regardless of what position they were in. 
But that trade to Leonard, they traded him to Vegas for a 2020 second round pick, Malcolm Subban, and defenseman prospect Slava Denham. Just, mm, I know hindsight's 2020, <laughs> obviously. It's so frustrating because Crawford is just up in the air right now. But man, if we had Robin Leonard in net, if we were the ones that had the one-two punch with Leonard and Crawford instead of Vegas having Leonard and Flurry, I would feel so much better about my chances in this best of five. Well, and here's the thing about that trade is, is given Crawford's age, given his injury history over the last year and a bit, two years, I thought Leonard would be the successor to Corey Crawford. And I really I thought that they did. would, yeah, that they would find a way to hang on to what has developed into a tremendous NHL goaltender. And, uh, you know, you're right that that trade, um, <laughs> I mean, Malcolm Subban, I'm sorry. He's, I watched him in, in Boston. I watched a lot of Vegas. He's not going to. He's a roster filler. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, I, Boston took him high at the draft and he mm. just hasn't panned out. Um, I don't think he's the answer. And, and that, that trade made me scratch my head a little bit as well. I have to be honest with you. It, yeah. It just, it seems like it came down to a dollar figure and it always seems to in Chicago because Stan Bow puts our backs up against the wall every year. So I think the reason for the trade was just because the organization felt like they weren't going to be able to come to a number that Leonard wanted. He took that bridge deal. He said he was done betting on himself. He took that one-year $5 million contract to sign with the Blackhawks one. He surely could have gotten more in the offseason and will this upcoming offseason. But, yeah, definitely definitely tough to see that the Hawks couldn't find a way to make it work regardless, as we've seen with so many players over the future. We've had to make trades that leave other people scratching their heads. It's the tough part of being a Blackhawks fan post the Stanley Cup dynasty era, Tom. <laughs> hey, you're uh, talking to a guy who's covered the decade and a half of darkness, so <laughs> you'll be okay, Jack. Yeah, how many first round picks? Or how many number one picks you seen? Four. <laughs> and only two. Two uh, of them are left. Yakupov is a dud, even in Russia. I know. He, I love the kid, but he uh, he goes of the way of uh, Patrick Stefan and Alexander Dag is mm. some of the worst first overall picks. This is um, uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. I, I was wondering you you ever listen to Spitting Chicklets? Of course. Who who doesn't? You hear Brian Burke? You ever hear Brian Burke talk about Neil Yakupov? <laughs> yes, and uh, <laughs> I want to punch him in the face. <laughs> You know, I, I think if the Oilers didn't take Yakupov first, he could have slid all the way down to somewhere around seven, eight, nine, maybe even ten. Yeah, they're like, we weren't going to take him. No, no one was going to take him. <laughs> I'm like, yep. oh man, yep. that's that's when you know it's bad. Yep, it's uh, one of. If one day I'll write a book, Jack. I'll write a book. You'll you'll love it. <laughs> Sounds. Oh, I'll, I'll look forward to reading that. All right, Tom. To quickly wrap things up here, let's talk about some of the recent news. Now that uh, both teams are now in their hub cities, I guess Edmonton's always been there, but Chicago is now in the hub city of Edmonton. Uh, and in training camp recently, I feel like the Oilers have just had significantly fewer problems than the Hawks have had. They really only had Caleb Jones being absent for you guys because of COVID nineteen. COVID nineteen. Uh, we got any other latest news out of Oilers camp that you want to bring up before we wrap up the episode, Tom? Just really quick, Riley Shahan didn't skate yesterday. Uh, he tweaked or took a shot off his foot at the scrimmage on Saturday. I think it's more of a precautionary thing. Uh, obviously, the Oilers not giving up much in terms of what the details of that injury are. But I expect to see him in the lineup on Saturday afternoon in game one against the Blackhawks. And then Darnell Nurse uh, kind of went down awkwardly as well last week. Did not scrimmage on Saturday, but sounds like he should be A-OK, -okay, good to go. 
All right, and then for the Blackhawks, the latest news, Corey Crawford has been back, as most Blackhawks fans know by now. It'll be interesting to see what kind of work they give him in the upcoming week. And on defense, we've seen Connor Murphy and Calvin DeHaan also missing time recently, but both guys appear to be trending in the right direction for Game 1 on Saturday after practicing with the team the last couple of days. And then the biggest news over the weekend was Brent Seabrook announced on Friday that he will not travel to Edmonton for the 2020 postseason because his shoulder is not yet at 100%. And Tom, honestly, for you, you would have liked Seabrook to be there, man. You would have wanted him playing. He's gonna, he would have messed things up for the Hawks real bad. <laughs> Well, you guys, really you guys wanted him in the lineup. Uh, I appreciate the honesty, Jack. And, and yeah, it's, you know, uh, it's funny how uh, those big body defensemen that put on a lot of hard years and played a lot of hockey, uh, you know, it, it's tough for them to keep it going. And uh, if, if uh, the Oilers are facing a tougher defenseman, good for the Hawks. It'll make a better <laughs> series. And uh, you know what? Um, I'm sure Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Ryan Dugan, all those speedy wingers and, and forwards would have been licking their chops ready to go if they were facing Brent Seabrook, try to burn them wide. Right. It's it's tough for those bigger body defensemen that are trying to keep up with the speed of the NHL nowadays. And with all those mileage on Seabrook's tires, especially after an eight-month absence, he got double hip surgery and shoulder surgery. He's off the oh. ice for eight months. You want that guy in the lineup come game one against McDavid and Dreisaitl? No, 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 no. <laughs> so Brent Seabrook was wisely left off the postseason roster, which actually was his own decision. He said he wasn't 100% healthy yet and did not feel comfortable making the travel to Edmonton. So there's all the latest Blackhawks news we got from practice, practice recently. Uh, and Blackhawks fans, as I mentioned earlier, please, please, please make sure to go follow Tom at Tom Gazzola and at Lockdown Oilers. For all the news and updates from Edmonton's side of things in this best of five qualifying series, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the after on the podcast this afternoon, buddy. Really looking forward to the other couple episodes that we're going to drop this week. Yeah, Jack, looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun watching hockey again, and uh, let's do this again soon. All right, so I think that is going to wrap up Tuesday, July 28th episode of Locked On Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show, and be sure to subscribe and follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you'll get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, ask your smart device to play the Lockdown NHL podcast for all the latest news about the return of hockey, and I will actually be featured on the Lockdown NHL podcast for Wednesday's episode to talk about your Chicago Blackhawks, so make sure to go tune into that tomorrow. As always... I am your host, Jack Bushman. You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at JackBushman2, or my Blackhawks account, at TalkinHockey. For any questions at all regarding anything related to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, you can always email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com or call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and thank you again for listening to Tuesday's episode of Lockdown Blackhawks.